You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to the Forefront Church Podcast, more to the story. Don't forget to email us questions at life at forefrontchurch.tv, or you can write them on the communication card if you're there Sunday morning and drop them in the box and we'll get them. Send us questions, we'll be happy to answer with us today, we have Pastor Drew Tarwater. Hey, fellas. We have pa- we have Pastor Darren Enns. How are you doing today? Hey, doing good. Good. And I'm Rob Blasey. Today, we're going to talk about the burning bush, the name of God, and the excuses Moses gave. So we'll start with the burning bush. It's always a popular topic here in Colorado with the burning bush. So Seems like Drew, there's always some bush on fire in Colorado somewhere. Well, I always heard like the, I've heard, yeah, not only that, but like, and I think I hear it more out here in Denver from when I lived out out east. Is that more people think there might have been a drug? Like, was Moses hallucinating this? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can't talk, it, you can't talk burning bush and not hallucinating, right? Like, it's right. Was he in Sedona on a on a vortex? Right. And so, like, what what's this look like? What was the uh, like? What tell us more about the burning bush and what that represents? It is really a, a fun um, topic to dive into. I mean, every every kid's Bible growing up, if you went to Sunday school, you always had a flannel graph board and a burning bush, right? And then Moses <laughs> in an amazing, uh, an amazing like you know, um, kind of hemp robe, you know. And it's like, man, like this is must 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 have been what it was like in Midian or on Mount Sinai. And so yeah, Moses is out. He's been uh, being a shepherd for forty years after fleeing Egypt, and now he is on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai and he just looks over and there's this bush that's on fire which probably wasn't that uncommon actually in the desert but the thing was that the bush didn't burn up it just was continually engulfed in flame and so in chapter three we see this encounter that Moses has with God that's really amazing and and what's interesting in, in chapter three is it says that you know, Moses is on Mount Horeb, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And so he looks, the bush is burning, it's not con- consumed. And we actually get like this picture of what's in Moses' mind. Moses is like, well, I'm going to go see what's going on with this bush. And uh, God sees that Moses turns to look, and he calls out to him from the bush. And he says, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am. And then he actually tells him to take off his sandals as he's going to walk on holy ground. And Moses like hides his face. He's even afraid to look at God. And it, it's at this point that God begins to reveal his plan to Moses for Moses's life. We, we talked a little bit on Sunday that biblical scholars and commentators think that this was, uh, a lot of people think that this was Jesus speaking through the bush. So a pre-incarnate mm-hmm. Jesus, this would have been a Christophany. Um, so Moses is now coming into contact with Jesus for the very first time through this burning bush. When you when you say Christophany, help help us, you know, grade school educated people with that. Yeah. So Darren, break down that you you can break down the, uh, the the term, but the picture is. I'll let Darren speak on the actual linguistics of it. But the idea is when God reveals Himself 
through an angel of the Lord to his people in the Old Testament, that would be referred to as a theophany. So, uh, so uh, theo, God, right? Um, and then when you have a, a picture in the Old Testament where Jesus is re- revealing himself to someone in the Old Testament, it would be a Christophany, Christo. And so Darren, feel free to break down the, the verbiage there. Yeah, so if we get Christ at the beginning, it stands for Christ, uh, which is a Greek word for Messiah. Um, and uh, the ophany is like a manifestation or, or a revealing. So Christophany is a revealing of Jesus. A theophany, uh, thea is the name in Greek for God. And uh, so that's where we get theophany. So it's just a, just a revealing there. Um, and w- as, as far as that goes, w- when, when we look at the text, um, I think it's okay to look back and, 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 you know, maybe superimpose these things, but for an original Israelite listener, they wouldn't have understood, you know, Jesus or pre-incarnate Jesus. Um, and so we have a unique perspective as a New Testament, New mm-hmm. Covenant people looking back. Um, so I, I think it's okay, but at the same time, in our interpretation of the text, we have to be careful of making any kind of s- super big significance out of that um, because it, it's not really what an original Israelite history historical person would think so is that yeah. like is, is that like when you watch a movie for the second time you already kind of know the ending sure but some, they put they put like that mm-hmm. easter egg somewhere in the first part of the movie in the in the build-up of the plot and like oh that makes so much more sense now because i know the conclusion that's exactly right and i think it's really fun as new testament readers to look back and look and see these little nuggets that god has left for us you know um, we can look back and see where Jesus says in John 8, 58, you know, I, I knew Abraham, right? And, and we're thinking, wow, I mean, that was, you know, 35, you know, 1,500 years before, 2,000 years before Jesus ever lived. Yet there is this picture that Jesus is eternal. And so we get these pictures of Christophanies and Theophanies. And there's little fun things to talk about. But, you know, you see the angel of the Lord goes down at the Tower of Babel. You see that God wrestles with Jacob. You see here the burning bush. And so these are little nuggets we can pick up on and uh, we can nerd out on because it's pretty fun. But, but Darren's <laughs> right. You know, the early uh, ancient readers would have, would have just said, oh, it's an angel of the Lord. It, it's God. They would have had no idea about it being Jesus. But one of the really cool things about this burning bush, I think we see that God communicates here, is the presence of fire. You know, I joked a little yesterday that, or on Sunday, that we, you know, we are always captivated by fire. So if you drive by and there's a car on fire on the side of the highway, what do you do? You slow down and look. Um, you know, we go to campsites and we hang out and we see, you know, we sit around a bonfire and it's just uh, this really, you know, captivating thing. And then, um, you know, we see throughout the scripture that this picture of, uh, of fire is kind of a picture of God's presence. And I, you, you end up really seeing this quite a bit in, in many different places. Um, you know, you see when we get into the story of Exodus further, when God is actually moving with his people, he's represented as a pillar of fire as they wander through the wilderness. Yeah. Um, when God is speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, you'll see fire on the mountain. Um, you'll also see that when the disciples are, uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples in the book of Acts, that they actually get um, tongues of fire uh, above them um, at Pentecost before they start speaking in all these different languages. And so I think there's this picture that God is, his, his presence is often represented by fire. Um, 
Fire is a beautiful thing to be captivated by, but fire is also dangerous. You know, you don't let your kids play around the fire. So it's also this idea like, Moses, take off your sandals. You're staying on holy ground. Like God's presence is serious. Um, God's presence is powerful, just like fire is powerful. So just a kind of a, a fun image, some, some fun imagery that God gives us that I think tells us more and more about just his holiness and his presence. Yeah, and, and as far as the, the bush goes that, that's on fire, whenever you're on a high place, like a mountain, and there's some kind of wooded plant there, there's significance there because that's where God shows up and makes deals with people. There's stories about Abraham uh, was, was up at a tree and it makes a covenant with people uh, in, the, in the, the garden. The garden was supposed to be on a high place because there were rivers flowing down from, from the Eden. Mm-hmm. And so it's on a high place and there was the tree of life there. You know, God's presence was there. So we see a tree here and it's not a tree, but it's a bush. It's a wooded thing. There, there are synonyms in Hebrew for tree. And, and we have a high place with the tree and God's there making a deal with Moses. And no, you think about a- Jesus being lifted up right on the cross at Golgotha, another high place yeah, on a tree. Cross made out of wood. Right, right. All the interesting parallels that run through the Bible. It's kind. Of, it's interesting, like, cause how many different authors and writers, and there's certain things that are significant all the way through it. That yeah. it just. Yeah, that that you, goes back to our discussion on the bonus episode about how the Bible came together. Like, yeah. there there seems to be this like glossy finish over the entire Old Testament. That there's these themes that weave their way through from beginning to end, and it's it's intentional. It's supposed to be there. Someone. Like mm-hmm. obviously people put it together and maybe made a few edits, but the the basic things are definitely there for us to see. No, that's interesting. Going moving on to the the name of God, Darren, there is clearly significance to it, and it's kind of had its. He's got a number of different names. What did they? What did it mean in Hebrew at this point? What were the Israelites going through with the name of God and calling him what? Yeah, so so when God says, I am who I am, in Hebrew, it's Echia Asher Echia. And the Echia is I am. Um, and if you change the first letter of that, um, well, sorry, back up. It's hard to do this without like a visual display. I did this in Bible study on Thursday night and I, I like wrote it out. <laughs> it's really easy to see. It's yeah. harder to describe just uh, uh, with uh, with voice. Um, but you, you have letters. There are four letters in Echia. And the last three are the same that are in the name of Yahweh. Uh, so that first letter means that this is the first person saying, I am who I am. Well, when Moses goes back to the Israelites, he, he can't say, I am sent you, because then Moses would be referring to himself in the first person saying, I am. So what Moses would say is, he is. He would kind of change that up to the third person. Because Moses is not, God is, and so he is. And yep. so that means that the first letter of Echia would be changed to, to a Y sound instead of an E sound. And so that's where you get Yahweh if, if you put in you know, more of a Hebrew inflection. Um, and that's, that's kind of where it comes from. And as far as the whole pronunciation of things, um, the, the Jews w- would be afraid to say the name, but I don't think it, in, in this time, I don't think they were afraid to do that yet because they hadn't received the Ten Commandments about you know, misusing the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, where that came in was actually, I believe it was after the exile, when you had the Pharisees start to come in and, and kind of put extra laws in place. The Pharisees wanted to help the people not even approach the line of breaking the law. And so they put the line way out in front, way out in head. And so if, well, if we're not supposed to misuse the name of God, 
then maybe we shouldn't even say the name of God. And so that's when the practice started coming in of saying Adonai, which in Hebrew means my Lord or the Lord. That's when that practice started to happen. And today, some people even won't even say Adonai out of even further respect. Or when they write down the name God, or the, like the literal letters G-O-D, they'll put in a dash for the O. Because when you write out the name of Yahweh, you just go Y-H-W-H. And it's, it's trying to be out of respect for, for the name. But um, I think that the reason that a name is given is for someone to know you and, and get to know who you are. And so if we don't use the name of God, it, you know, I, I think there's more, more power for ourselves if we use God's name and, and, and get to know him a little bit. Because the whole thing behind God's name is he is, I am. It's like he's the ultimate uncaused cause. Like, I am because my parents were, and they were, are, because their parents were. And it keeps going back and f- back and back and back, although all the, all the, the time you get to God, and God just is. There is no cause of God. And that's what this name is communicating to the Israelites, that he just exists, and that's how he works. No, that's, it's, when you think about that, it's crazy to think about, especially like the first and third person explanation of the name of God and how... Like Moses, like, hey, I talked to this God, and this is who he says he is. And that's just, yeah, crazy to think about. I was also thinking that when you're talking about, like, how the Pharisees, you know, created multiple layers to sort of protect people from breaking the law, break, you know, falling into sin, is that kind of then where then when Jesus comes around, he's kind of like, some of those walls aren't necessary. It's like, yeah, the that, law is still important, definitely. but not, not these rules. Yeah, like you, you've sometimes that you've heard it said that Jesus says is a direct quote from the Old Testament. Sometimes it's a Pharisaical law that's just stupid. Like, stop yeah. it, Pharisees. This is not the point of the law. The point of the law was to give you life, but you're using it to cause death. And that so so stop it. Like, let's yeah, let's glad, get to I'm, the intent behind the law. Yeah, I'm glad we don't do that anymore yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so. Rob, one of the things I love about this I am, this, th- this name of God, is that, you know, God is saying that there's no equal, there's no rival, there's really no word that even uh, matches uh, my my greatness. And, and you know, I think it almost is like I am, you know, you fill in the blank, right? I am all powerful. I am the creator. I am all of these things that, that have no equal, no rival. And he's going to go into Egypt now and he's going to send Moses in and he's going to prove that through the plagues and to prove that through his power and through the Exodus, he's going to reveal that, that I am bigger than all of these things that, that, that the Egyptians believe. And he's going to begin to prove that to the people of Israel as they go through the wilderness together. And so I think he's c- communicating something about his character here uh, to the people of Israel. What's interesting is... Um, you know, when we read our, our Hebrew Bible, you know, if you're Darren, you've got the, you know, the Hebrew Old Testament in front of you, you've got vowel markers, and those vowels were added later. And so about 600, um, you know, uh, A.D. is when those vowels were added. So, you know, when we go back, and, and we really don't know how this would have sounded to Moses, you know, like Yahweh, like we, the way we say Yahweh, you know, it would have been just kind of really amazing to try to hear how God would have said, I am that I am to Moses. I mean, we're not even really sure how to pronounce it nowadays. Um, we get close. I think, I think you know, Darren does a great job. I think we get really close. But yeah, it, wouldn't it be fascinating just to be a fly on the wall or a, on the bush, maybe, you know, a scorpion <laughs> on the 
sand. I won't, uh, I won't to want to be hear. on the bush while it's on fire. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> right. another bush. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, another bush, you know, a few, yeah. a few ways over. Uh, but yeah, just fascinating how God decides to tell Moses. He could have said, hey, I'm Elohim. We talked about that in Genesis. I'm Yahweh. Um, you know, I'm the Lord. I'm God. I'm I, the I am. I just, I just love that. There's just some mystery in that. Uh, I think there's power in that for us, um, you know, just to the idea like we know the great I am. So I'm just, well, I, I kind of geek out on that stuff. Oh, no, it's one of those where it adds the mystery of God and who wants to worship a God that you completely understand. It doesn't make, you know, if you completely understand it, is it really God? Mm. And so there's, I mean, there's, there's some, there's that line with like having a solid understanding and then also having a faith understanding as well, too. There's there's two different parallel lines there, I think, that, you know, we travel on as Christians. And, well, speaking of, you brought up Moses with the burning bush. And Moses, throughout his experiences with God, kept coming up with the excuses. And there's five that are pointed out there between Exodus 2 and 4 that you guys started to cover. So let's we'll go over those, the five excuses. Uh, Drew, what's the, what's the big idea behind the excuses? And what's really the first one there that... The one where where he gives. Yeah, it's funny. So, you know, Moses tells God, or God tells Moses, hey, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. And Moses immediately starts spitting out excuses to God on why he shouldn't go back. And I, I, I joked a little bit. I think this is actually a super encouraging section because it shows us that Moses did end up doing something amazing for God, but on the front end, as soon as God calls him, he's afraid, he's scared, he's giving God excuses, which is what we do as Christians. We often give God excuses first, and then God begins to reveal his promises to us, which makes us more bold. And so we see five of these excuses, and I think we can see ourselves in each of these excuses. And so the first excuse was that Moses had this lack of credentials. And so Moses says, God says, Moses, I'm sending you back in. And Moses says, well, who am I that you're going to send back in, right? Like, I killed an Egyptian. I'm on the run. I don't have any of these skills. Um, you were going to see him say later all these different things that he's not. And, and so he has these lack of credentials that he gives right there in chapter 3, uh, verses 11 and 12. And what I love about this is this is what sets up, um, you know, God telling Moses his name as you get into the second excuse, which is the lack of content. And so Moses is like, well, who am I to go? And then what am I even going to say? Like, what shall I say when I go? And if they ask me who sent me, who do I tell them? And that's when God says, you tell them the great I am sent you. You tell them I am that I am has sent you. What so I think is interesting kind of, with... With the lack of credentials and lack of content, especially with Moses, like in hindsight now, like in the in the Christian leadership world, Moses is put on a pedestal of one of the great all time leaders. And here right. he is in like in the early stages of it, like, look, I don't have the credentials and I don't know what to say. I don't he's like, you know, he's listing excuses out there when but like when we knowing how the story ends and how people look back on it, he's considered one of the great leaders of the Bible and even like leadership theory, if you want to call it that and how he develops. So to sort of have these as like the starting points kind of, I guess, like you said, encouraging in one way and scary in another. It is. And I think, you know, Darren can probably speak a little more to this, but you know, the old, uh, you know, the, the Pharisees and the religious elite, the religious elite always looked back on the law of Moses. And they always spoke about Moses as this, you know, the, the figure, right. That we look back to 
in, in, um, as the spokesperson for God. Um, but ultimately, you get to Moses here, and Moses is just this frail, weak guy who's afraid he has nothing to do or nothing to say, and that God's going to end up using him in a powerful way. And so I think there's a lot of parallels to what God calls us to do as Christians. Is there, so is it kind of, a, would it, if it went the other way around, if he goes like, hey, Moses, this is what you're going to do. And he's going to be like, God, I got this. I've been working on this. I'm ready for you. Like, that'd be kind of also like, hey, know your role. Settle down. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you, you know, you've, you've got, that, you know, excuses one and two there. And then you get to excuse three. Um, mm-hmm. and, and excuse three is interesting. We really didn't get a chance to talk about that yesterday, but God tells him that he, you know, I'm obviously I'm going to send you. And then we get to chapter four and Moses answers, but what if they don't believe? What if they don't listen when I go and tell them, you know, and he's talking about going and talking to the people of Israel and, and, and saying, Hey, God sent me to you to, to raise you up and to get you to freedom. And what happens if they don't believe? And I think this one's really interesting because you start to see God give Moses some action points. Um, And so we see here that God gives Moses a staff. And Darren, I think we talked a little bit ahead of time about some connections between the staff and the snake. Yeah, Moses here becomes a snake crusher, which Hmm. if you remember back in Genesis 3.15, there is uh, kind of the first prediction of someone who's going to come along and he's going to crush the snake. And the snake was the representative of evil because he's the one who, who convinced Adam and Eve that God might not be, have the best intentions in mind. And so in Genesis 3:15, God writes down through Moses, most likely that uh, there will be an offspring of the woman who will crush the serpent's head, uh, even as, as he himself is, is hurt and, and, and hurt and killed by, by the snake on his heel. And so, um, throughout scripture, we get some pictures and relations where people become snake crushers as a, a prototype of this person. Of course, Jesus is the one who completely fulfills that as he defeats death by dying. Um, because if you remember back in chapter one, I believe, uh, Pharaoh starts to deal, or he tries to deal shrewdly with the uh, Israelite people. And that shrewd is bringing up the idea that the snake is also shrewd and crafty. And so Pharaoh is presented as a type of snake figure here. And mm. Moses is the one who's given the power to go back and crush the snake, who is Pharaoh. Uh, so th- through throwing down the staff, he initially runs from it. Like he's freaked out initially. Yeah. Uh, and then, then God says, no, no, it's okay. Just go, go pick it up. And it, it turns back into a staff. So yeah, Moses here is, is a snake crusher. He, he fills that role. And what's really cool, if you go back and look at just the a lot of the imagery you see in Egypt, when you look at the uh, sarcophagus, go look or the sarcophagi in plural. If you go back and look at that, there is a you know there is a gold cobra on the head of the pharaoh, um, one of the the little gods, one of the national gods in Lower Egypt was the cobra, and so there's this connection where the Egypt in, in in Egypt they think of cobras and they think of snakes as these like deities, and God saying actually. I can make my staff turn, or Moses, I'll make your staff turn into a snake. And then you put your hand over it like Harry Potter and the Nimbus 2000, and it'll just pop right back up in your hand. <laughs> God, again, like, I have control. I'm the one who's the real God, uh, and I'm the one who, as Darren said, I love that. You know, I'm going to crush the head of snakes. We often see, when we see about, like, what God promises to do, we see an immediate fulfillment, and we see a future fulfillment. And so immediate fulfillment, Moses becomes the head, the crusher of the snake. 
But the ultimate fulfillment is Jesus on the cross who's going to crush the head of the snake. So I, I just love that imagery, this lack of converts. He's like, okay, well, here, take your staff, and this is going to show you who's totally in control. Is That's the third where, excuse. Is, it, is this where, like, the, the Christian sect of snake handlers come in a little bit? Is this, like... <laughs> Where is that? Is this part of their of their belief? Like, hey, if because it's 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 a weird Christian belief and like certain like we it's like we all have that crazy uncle um, <laughs> who believes something. And you're yeah. like, it's like as long as we all believe in Jesus, but you guys do some crazy stuff around it. Like, is this kind of where that comes in, or at least a starting point for it? You know, there is in the book of Acts, there is this situation where you have um, Paul. You know, gets gets has this viper that bites him and he grabs him and throws him off. And then he doesn't die from the, um, from the, uh, the viper bite, you know, there's that kind of thing that goes on with snakes too. There's also a sign in Mark 16, 18, that some of those churches that believe in snake handling, um, you know, that God will protect them from harm if they handle snakes and that kind of thing. So I, I just think there's this, this running track through scripture about snakes being evil and God's power over snakes. Um, but I'm not sure how much it ties back to Moses and the staff here. But it's an interesting question. It's when you look at the Bible taking stuff literal or literarily. I think it's right. one of Darren's phrases I've stolen from him. It's like, <laughs> how, it's like, how do you, it's like, is this something that is like a, a practice or is this like telling a story? Yeah, it's like right. if, if, you, if you handle snakes, you're like, that's the most important thing in the bible like that that's what you <laughs> right. pull out okay guys okay. yeah yeah like we say context is everything right no so. absolutely and then speaking yes. of context going on to uh the fourth excuse is uh the communication skills right moses. so moses is saying look i mean i'm not a good speaker you know he was shy he was scared to death to speak in public um, and, you know, some people think, well, was it an education issue? I mean, he did grow up the first 40 years in Egypt. Surely he's a good speaker. There's been some speculation that maybe he stuttered or some things like that. But ultimately, he's saying, well, God, I can't go be your voice and your spokesperson because I'm not an eloquent speaker. You know, I'm not a great orator. And we see immediately that God just basically says to him, like, you know, who made the human mouth? It's kind of like when God, you know, God tells Job, like, where were you when I created all this? <laughs> He's like, well, for one, who made the mouth, right? And do you think that I don't, you know, do you think that I don't know about your perceived weakness? And so he's saying, yes, Moses, you might not be a great speaker, but I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to be the one that gives you what you need to say, which is interesting because if you think about the apostle Paul, you know, in 2 Corinthians, you see um, in the church in Corinth, there's these, these super apostles that come in and they start to say, well, look at Paul. How could Paul be great? He's frail. He's, he's, they say he wasn't very good to look at, didn't speak very well. But yet, who was the man that set the church upside down planting churches? It was the apostle Paul, right? So it's just this other, I think it's just another beautiful picture of the fact that God uses us, no matter how weak we are, to do powerful things. No, absolutely. It reminds me, I've been reading the book uh, Amazing Grace by Eric Metaxas mm. with uh, William Wilberforce. And it talks about his or, you know, public speaking skills. And I think people would kind of forget back in that day, it's not like they had a microphone where they could be like, hey, you know, you can go speak to thousands of people just by, you know, plugging in a microphone and they can all hear you. One of the things is also to actually be able to project your voice so these people can hear you. And I'm sure when he's in the courts with Pharaoh, it wasn't just like a one-on-one -on -one conversation. He's talking to a large group that he has to, you know, 
be eloquent in front of and also project. And it's just not a skill many people think about today because we have technology to overcome that. Unless yeah. you're a classically trained musician and you have to make your voice cut through the orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. You think of like... <laughs> Yeah, think of like um, in the early, you know, early days of America, and you had guys like George Whitfield, and they say that George Whitfield could stand and preach to twenty thousand people with no amplification. I mean, you just think of like the power that you would need in your voice to be able to do those kind of things. Um, and so, yeah, you, it's just interesting. So Moses says, "I don't have any ability to speak," and God kind of—I kind of feel like God kind of got a little frustrated with him. He's like, "That's irreverent and that's irrelevant, right?" Like, I'm no, obviously. <laughs> Let me do it. That's what I'm telling you. I am. Like, I will give you the power. But that funnels into the fourth excuse, and, or the fifth excuse in chapter 4, verse 13 and 17, where the final excuse, he's trying to get out of this. I mean, he is so, working so hard. He's basically out of excuses. And at this point, he's basically like, well, what if I don't have anybody that goes with me? You know, like, what if I don't have any, any, any commitments here? Um, and this actually makes M Moses kind of mad. He says, uh, but he says, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Right? He's like, I don't want to go. Like, send somebody else. And then it says, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. And he said, behold, he's coming out to meet you. And so it's like, Moses, you're not going to go do this on your own. I've already told you I'm with you. But since that's not enough, let me send your brother Aaron with you. And he he'll go too. Yeah, God's anger here is 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 fun because uh, in Hebrew the idiom for getting mad is that your nose burns, hmm. uh, and so yeah, I had that, that for about the, a, I had that for about a week ago. A week ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So your nose burns hot, and that's what happens here. God's God's nose gets hot, um, and, and later on in Exodus, when uh, God is described as slow to anger, um, he's described as having a long nose because it takes a long time for that nose to get hot. So th this is like, ultimately, God was actually really patient with Moses here. He comes up with, with four excuses, um, and the fifth is just like, no, I don't want to do it. Please, is, is, send someone else. God, really, come on, I don't want to do it. And then God gets mad, like, golly, this guy. Um, and, and he's like, fine, I'll send Aaron. Uh, but then what we see is actually Moses, like, Aaron's not really that big of a deal. Moses actually ends up doing most of the talking. So, like... Hmm. I, yeah, the whole Aaron thing, like Moses just kind of owns up to it. Or maybe he like, no, Aaron, you can't do it. God sent me. Gets a little arrogant. I don't know. Probably not. But. Yeah, you know, I think it's like if you got a little kid at home and you're like, hey, we're going to go, you know, we're going to soccer practice. No, I'm not going to go. Right. Well, hey, I'll be right there with you. I'll stand there next to you. You know, your cousin Joe's going to be there. And then the kid gets out there and they're playing soccer and having a great time. And so I feel like God was just like, OK, Aaron will be your spokesperson. Just trust me. And then Moses gets there and he's like, oh, yeah, I can do this uh, because God's with me. Um, but again, I just, I, it's so funny how we see in all five of these excuses, the same things we say to God, God's like, Hey, Rob, do this. And we're like, well, who am I to go do it? And what am I going to say? And what if they don't believe? And I don't think I'm a good speaker and I just don't want to go, you know? And God's like, trust me, I'm going to be there. And so I just, I love that. I just think it, we see ourselves in Moses and then we see what's so encouraging is over time, we see Moses get stronger and get stronger and get stronger as he trusts more and more and more. And I think that's the picture of what God wants us to do, too, as we trust him and believe more and more. No, it's interesting to see as God kind of 
fills in the gaps where every time there's like an excuse, he's like, hey, okay, maybe it's like, like you said, with the like slow to anger, it's like, you know what, okay, the first one, maybe it's it's reasonable knowing, because he knows who we are. He's like, okay, yeah, that's a reasonable thought for you to have, but here's my solution, and I have a solution for you. And right. even like, throughout stories of the Bible and even stories of our lives, the solution's not always presented at itself when the journey's asked to be taken. It's like, hey, how much faith, do you, you know, it's that, we were talking earlier about like, you know, faith versus knowledge. Like, it's good to know, it's good to study, it's good to know the things, but there's certain times God asks you to step out and I hate the term blind faith because like it makes the implication that you know nothing about God, but there's a, you know, you trust God that he's made promises. He'll, he'll come yeah, to fulfill trusting those. faith. Yeah. yeah. More of just a trusting faith and something you necessarily can't see, but you know, you step out knowing that God's got your back. No, absolutely. I'm looking at Darren. He looks like he has something to say, but then he, Oh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> I, I think I'm yawning too much. I'm Give sorry. More coffee. More, yeah. <laughs> no, it's interesting to think about how all this, you know, ties together and reading it from, you know, years it happening. And you can say to see that, like we're talking about the whole Bible coming together, how Moses is considered a great leader today. And you see all these excuses he's throwing out there and going how like, and in today's world where, you know, it's, not always apples to apples comparison, like the snake handlers, like, Hey, it doesn't mean like, Hey, go handle snakes, but it does mean like to go, go, go conquer what God's asking you to conquer, you know, yeah. whether it's a ministry, exactly. whether, whether it's taking care of your family, you know, it's, it, when we were talking about this before we recorded, it reminded me kind of even like what God asks with us in giving, whether it's our time resources. And like, he does say, Hey, try it, test me on this. And I'll come through. And so yeah. how many times is God just sort of like, you know, try me on this. I'll come through. And there's, you know, stories and stories. And the 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 scary side of when I hear Christians say stuff like that is like, I, I don't know about you guys, but like I listen to a ton of sermons outside of you, Drew and Darren. Sorry, it's not, I'm not trying to cheat on you guys, but I like listening to other people too. But the, sometimes it feels like uh, pastors or Christians look at promises that were given to specific people and kind of carry him on to themselves. And it's like, no, he was promising that at that moment. It doesn't mean it goes to you. And you, I think that's where you get some of the prosperity preachers and things like that, where it's dangerous to go like, hey, go do this in God's name and he'll fulfill it for you. It's Yeah, the, the Israelites were are the only covenant people of God outside of the church now. Yeah. So if you talk about a Christian nation, whether yeah. that's America or any, any past nation, um, like we're, we're not the covenant people of God. Uh, he hasn't made this deal with us. Um, and so it, it's, yeah, we have, we have to be careful when we look at some of these promises um, for, for God to bless us or to do certain things. I, I think it, it can apply more easily to, to the church now, but as far as a nation goes, it, it, it's really tough. And so some people think that we should establish a Christian nation or, or an Israelite Jewish nation again. Um, but that, that's that's something that happened has happened in the past, and we have record of that. Not something necessarily that, that can work now. Yeah, and I think God calls us. It's bigger than that, right? We're called to. It's the kingdom of God, and so it's all peoples. And you know, we're called to be more than. Um, you know, yes, yeah, should we have pride in where we live and our nation? Of course, but I think we're supposed to be above, and we are exiles, right? Like all of our people, our he- we have a heavenly inheritance. Our home is heaven. 
And so we're the kingdom of God here on earth. It's meant to, to show Jesus' love and to uh, you know, proclaim the excellencies of his marvelous light, as Peter says. And um, so, so I, I just think there's so much truth to that. But what I love, you know, as we kind of think about this story of Moses, and we're going to get to see, you know, continue as Moses leads God's people through the Exodus and in through the wilderness, is this idea that God uses weak things. I mean, to get to this point, God used Hebrew midwives who said no to Pharaoh, Moses' mom, who hid Moses, Moses' sister, who watched where Moses went when he was um, then basically kept, you know, sent on a, a little boat down the Nile and rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. And so we see it's really, it's five women that in that culture would have seemed as um, powerless who took, you know, who followed God and trusted God and, and believed in God that ultimately led to God raising up Moses who would rescue his people. And it's Moses, who is a man of much weakness, who God's going to use to lead the Exodus. And so it's just that reminder that God uses weak things, things the world would think would be weak, to push back against the powerful things that the world and culture and society thinks are powerful. And ultimately, it gives God glory and shows that God's the one who's in control. So it's going to be really fun seeing how the storyline continues through the next few weeks. What's what's on the tab for next week? What's Yeah, we're, so we're talking about um, God's power and, you know, God being the one in control of nature and uh, of all things, and then God putting the little Hebrew false gods in their place. Um, and then in the coming weeks, we're going to get to the Red Sea and, you know, uh, Israel crossing over into the wilderness to the Ten Commandments. So strap on your seatbelt, though. We've got a lot of, a lot of ground to cover. Uh, and, Darren, you've mentioned this a few times with, with your Bible study that you guys uh, do on Thursdays. I'm when all this is kind of like developing discernment and you guys ask a ton of great questions in that Bible study, it sounds like if people wanted to get connected, if they're in the Denver, Southwest Denver area and want to get connected to the Bible studies at forefront, what's the best way for them to do that, Darren? Yeah, you can call the church and we'll probably leave voicemail. Those get forwarded to us. Uh, easiest way probably is to email life at forefront church. Those go to, to Drew, I think, and he disseminates those where they need to go. Um, you could take a chance and just show up Thursday nights at 630. Uh, most of the time we'll be here. <laughs> Um, but it'd be good to try and get connected first. You could also go to our website and go uh, find our life groups there and you can sign up online as well. So yeah, lots of ways, uh, email, go into our website, forefrontchurch.tv uh, and find life groups there. So yeah, we'd love to see you. Uh, the stuff I talk about here, you know, diving into the Hebrew, we take a close look at, but really it's driven by the people who attend. Uh, you guys ask the questions and make observations and we kind of go from there. I always have a little bone to pick, um, you know, like talking more about the name of God, but yeah. Feel free to, to join us. Love to have love to see you. No, that'd be great. So life at forefrontchurch.tv. And also if you have questions for us here, send it to it send that to send it there as well. And we thank you for listening and we'll see you guys next week. You have been listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week more to the story podcast will follow the forefront church sunday sermon as pastor drew and pastor darren guide you through the bible from genesis through revelation every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the bible thank you for listening we'll be back next week with another edition of more to the story